The COVID-19 pandemic we're going through at the time of airing of this episode has made us more aware than ever of how complex and time-consuming it is to study, test and approve medical treatments. This week's guest, Natalie Ross, is going to share her experience in a domain where, as a PhD, she feels she's actively contributing to the advancement of medical treatments for real patients out there, as a scientific and medical writer in the domain of regulatory affairs. When you do a PhD, you have to learn how to be organized, organize your thoughts, organize everything. Specifically for regulatory affairs, one of the key skills is to be detail-oriented, to be curious, because you may change from one project to another. Uh, let's say one project you're working in a medical device, whether it's uh, heart valves or anything else, and the, the next day you might work on a medication for psoriasis or another skin disease. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Today, we're here with Natalie Ross. Natalie uh, is a former research scientist. She is bilingual, French and English, and she's a medical and regulatory writer with over 15 years of experience. Her curriculum also includes senior manager regulatory affairs at MAPI, formerly CANREG, where she managed a large number of drug and medical device applications for Health Canada and the FDA in a wide spectrum of therapeutic areas. Natalie developed teaching and R&D skills through her positions as a research scientist in Envi at Environment Canada and as an assistant professor at the University of Ottawa. She's a member of the American Medical Writers Association, Canadian Association of Professional Regulatory Affairs, and the Association uh, and uh, the Association des Communicateurs Scientifiques du Québec. She's based in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, where she works in partnership with her local, national, and international clientele. Welcome to Papa PhD, Natalie. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. Yeah, I, I'm really happy to have you on the show. Uh, you have uh, a, a career path that's very interesting. Uh, you did many interesting things on, on the way to where you are today. And you're in this uh, regulatory domain uh, of medical writing, which I think can be interesting for a lot of uh, the listeners out there. And uh, and uh, I think it's it's something that today, uh, and you'll talk about it for sure. There's a lot of work out there, and uh, for people who like to write, uh, and and who uh, who have PhDs, I believe it's one of the very uh, very good uh, paths to follow. So enough of of what I think about it. Let's hear about uh, you, about where you come from, how you got into science, and then eventually how you got into all these things that I mentioned in your intro and into being a, a regulatory medical writer today. Yes, thank you for the introduction. Um, as I start, I'd like to go uh, way back to the end of uh, CJEP. So for those who are not familiar with the uh, Quebec um, education system, CJEP is a couple of years between high school and university. 
so at that time, I was all into pure science, chemistry, biology, and it always been part of my life. And at that time, I was looking for more applied science. So that's where I started um, my undergrad and my master's degree in food science. I was really interested into everything related to food transformation, microbiology, fermentation, and so on and so forth. Um, and it became very clear that I wanted to go into research. So the idea of starting a PhD was only natural. And what happened, I was offered something a little bit different. Um, again, I was in food science, but the, the PhD I was offered, and even the master's degree I was offered, was in treating the effluent from a food plant. So right away, I diverged to um, environmental science, which I was appealed to the challenges that were there. And naturally, I went to uh, the PhD at the um, Polytechnic in Montreal. I was very fortunate to embark into a new area of research in uh, soil bioremediation. So the use of microorganisms to treat groundwater and soil, and that was very exciting. So that's how I started my career, actually. Uh, after the PhD, I went to uh, Ontario, the Canada Centre for Inland Waters. I was offered a postdoc there with the opportunity to start as a research scientist. So what was exciting there was to have my own project. Um, and throughout those years, and even from high school and elementary school, I have a passion for writing. So this is important to remember. <laughs> that leads to where I am now. Um, so I was excited to write my own um, request uh, for money um, and then to write papers and, and so on and so forth. And so that's how it all started. And at some point, I wanted to teach more. So still being a research scientist, but looking for opportunity to, to teach, um, I sent my CV around and was offered a position at Ottawa University in chemical engineering. And that was really interesting to start the courses. And I was that was to me to be closer to students. Although I had students in my lab at Environment Canada, it was to, to be in touch with the undergrad, the graduate students, and so on and so forth. And after a few years of this, um, I, I needed some, some change and um, still having my passion for writing. Uh, I went into regulatory affairs, which is completely different from the environment. Uh, it deals with pharmacology. It deals with um, drug developments and so on and so forth. And there was a lot of writing involved. So I started over going back to school, doing a certificate in regulatory affairs. That was in Ontario and started uh, working from there in the private sector. So uh, I've seen different turns and pivots that you did. Uh, one one interesting thing. So you uh, mentioned going to do research in a governmental, um, so in the National Water Research Institute. Uh, so coming out of your PhD, how how did you find that opportunity? Uh, and uh, so because immediately you weren't, you know, you weren't going on to a postdoc. So this is where you kind of diverged and and, and um, 
I imagine at this time, at this point, you knew you were not going to follow the academic track. Am I am I uh, tracking with you on this? Uh, actually, how it happened, the PhD, I was doing it for, um, it was research um, industry funded. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, had, okay. yeah, it was industry funded. We were, we were um, assessed by um, other research scientists because it was uh, funded that way. Um, and then one laboratory uh, at Unvermin Canada offered me a postdoc there. So it was appealing uh, first to change province to see a different lab. And also it was a continuity of the PhD project, which was at that time a lab project to a field demonstration. So saying no to that was not it uh, was not an option um, it was uh, very interesting plus i i knew it was a phd with the possibility to become a research scientist and uh in the area i knew there were several universities so i could if i wanted to teach i could slowly start uh teaching and that's that's what i did that's really interesting, and I, I hadn't heard about this this model yet. So I just want to 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 know exactly how, what this model, how this model works, because you, you talk about gradually starting teaching. Was this something that could somehow eventually lead to tenure? How, what what exactly is the model? If someone wants to kind of follow the same path, what can they expect of of this uh, you know industry funded research scientist type position? I'm really curious about this. Yeah. Well, I think if it's going to lead to a tenure, you have to be hired as a university professor, period. That That's not changing. What was different in this case is being a research scientist from a, an institute, you could start by being invited because you meet other professors and then they slowly they invite you in their graduate courses or to give a three-hour window in the course on, I don't know, whatever is okay, uh, okay, okay. soil in microbiology and so on and so forth. And at least you can um, see if you like it. And if you want to do it, um, you can be an, an adjunct professor, definitely. Uh, but in my case, since I wanted to do more and to have a tenure position, I I left the Environment uh, Canada Research Centre to go in Ottawa. Okay, now now I, I understand. So this it, it's kind of a parallel track that that you were able to to follow at the time, but not not leading to tenure. Although you could be teaching and having uh, having this type of of uh, experience of teaching experience, but not it's not okay. I, I I think now I understand how it works. So my feeling, and tell me if I if I interpre interpret it right, is this transition from PhD to this position. It was a very easy transition because it was a natural follow-up of what of the PhD that yes. you have done. It, the offer for the postdoc came before I even really made a decision or where I wanted to go, so I just went okay, with it. Okay, 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 and you went with it, and that, and that's that's normal when when good opportunities arise. I imagine you had funding, etc., that came with that too, and uh, uh, it it looked like it was very applied. Which must have been interesting, you know, coming from from the PhD that you did. So, but eventually, something in you said, mm, "I I think I want I want to be a professor." And that's when you said you said you decided and you applied to be uh, 
to be a professor and you went to, uh, to the University of Ottawa, right? That, that's correct, yes. It didn't happen in one day, uh, of course. You send CV and I had a couple of interviews, uh, two in the United States and one in Canada. Um, I don't know, it maybe took six months to a year okay. for the whole process to, uh, to be completed. Um, and it was a nice uh, transition because you go back to a new place, you have to build your, your lab. And, uh, you know, I had a couple of students who followed me uh, to university, but then everything started to be rebuilt, including um, uh, preparing new courses. I just want to take a moment before going on with the interview to let you know that you can help me end the show by leaving a star rating and a comment on your podcasting app. If you want to go a step further, go to patreon.com slash PhD now and become a supporter. For the equivalent of a coffee per month, you'll be helping me immensely with the recurring costs of hosting and producing the show. Again, thank you for being a true fan. Very interesting. Uh, and so it seems that up to this point of, of you know, now uh, interviewing to become a professor, which must have been, ch had its own challenges, it feels that things were flowing along, you know, quite, quite uh, naturally and, and, and easily. Although I imagine you, you went through a PhD, you had obstacles for sure, and you had difficult, you know, the difficulties, the natural difficulties that come with this type of endeavor, right? Um But what I'm interested is in is in in the the points where you pivot. So at this point uh, in 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 2004, when you you decide, okay, I want to to go to uh, to teach at a university as a professor. Uh, you, of of course, looking at your background, I think your arguments in terms of CV were were quite strong. But uh, still, uh, you may have uh, had doubts or 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 um some anxiety about okay i'm leaving this sure thing for something that's not so sure how how did that go how did you deal with that uh, and and also how easy was it with the background that you had to convince uh, your your future employers in in this case universities that you were the person for for the job Well, the, sk the skills that were developed in, in the lab and, and the teaching skills, yes, they are applied. The, I would say the main difference is to have, it's more like a double charge uh, of work. So you have to have your lab that is up and running and also develop your course. So it's the integration of the teaching aspect to it that at first, uh, well, we all know that the first few years if not the five the first five six seven years are are heavy because you're you're putting a lot of things in place um so that was in addition to work that was already i was already doing because i kept some research projects i brought with me again with, with the students um so that was um It was a lot of work. I, I can't mm -hmm. hide from that. Uh, <laughs> and the way I, I handle it is just work, work, work. Uh, so, and then you did your, your stint at uh, Ottawa University. Um, and eventually you, you made a, a move again. How, how did that come up? 
you know, you stayed uh, a couple of years, two years at the University of Ottawa. Uh, how did you end up deciding to then uh, go into regulatory affairs? What what was the maybe the the, the moment where this reflection started in you and then how did you make the move to to then uh, to, to then pivot to this new area well partly the shortest answer to that is i was ready for something new although you mentioned i stayed a couple of years at university of ottawa but if we add those years to the pre-existing years for research scientists and phd work which was in the same field i wanted something new um And I came across the requirements for regulatory affairs, which involves a lot of writing, different documents, which we can discuss later. Uh, and I found this certificate that was uh, only offered to people with a university degree already. Um, it was really specific. So while I was still working as a No, I think I stopped at that time, sorry. And then I, I started this certificate and halfway through the certificate, um, I was offered actually a job, a full-time job in the regulatory affairs, which was uh, also based on previous experience I had as a research scientist and professor. Uh, although I was new in, in this field, and this field um, includes writing uh, protocols for research, writing documents, Uh, for a drug or a medical device that would go to Health Canada or the FDA. Uh, although the field was new, but the skills of writing, interacting with um, different scientists that are, I had already acquired. And you had mentioned before that, that writing was something that you, you've liked to do from, from before, from a long time ago. Um, yeah. So now... Uh, I imagine so. You had to, uh, to I imagine, well, you had publications uh, as as a professor as, and as, a, as an investigator, but um, you you had to. I don't know if there was a, a goodbye party, but you had to leave this previous life to go into the new one. Um, uh, how I imagine that because you had found this, you had started. Uh, training yourself with the certificate to do it, you had a, a big motivation to make that move. Uh, but uh, what I'd like to know is how, because changes, big life changes take a lot of reflection to, you know, to, to, to make. Uh, sometimes family uh, chimes in with, uh, with their, you know, fears or anxieties. Why are you leaving this uh, secure job, etc.? How was that? Was that, was that easy? Was it, were you able to just decide on your own and, and, uh, and make a move, uh, uh, independently? Um, how was that process? Yeah. And it's a good question. And some people thought I was crazy to leave a job that was tenure track, <laughs> um, to go there. Really. I was, I was, I just, I wanted something new and I thought what I had to do in this field was finished. So to me, there was uh, not a, a lot of reflection um, more than I, I strongly felt that it was bringing me elsewhere um, and start over. It was, it was exciting to me. I thought it would be change, a, a whole change. I could have stayed as a university professor and, and still work 
there's so many challenges with regards to environment. It, I just had the feeling that my job was, was done. So it's hard to explain really. Um, and again, because of this passion for writing, I knew that I could help the society different. And, and that's key to me. I need to feel that what I'm doing is helpful to someone. Yeah. And so as, as, a, you know, as a senior manager in regulatory affairs, what can, what were, what was your role and, you know, how fulfilling was it to you? And, and why I'm asking this question is people who are now in PhDs or postdocs and thinking of maybe doing something outside of academia may often think, mm, I, how can I have a job after after a PhD or after my postdoc that will be intellectually fulfilling? And that's why I'm asking the question. So again, just asking my question again, uh, what's the day-to-day -day in regulatory affairs? What are the skills that you bring from a PhD? And how stimulating is it intellectually? Uh, and At least what was your experience in, in that sense? Okay, well, good question, uh, David. Thank you. Uh, it, it might sound very glamorous to, to have... Um, a big change like this. I have to say that at first I didn't start as a senior manager because it was very new in a, in a field that I, I was learning. I started at the bottom. Um, however, because of all the skills that uh, were already available, you mentioned the writing skills and I can identify a couple. Then I, I, I went from uh, from an associate, a senior associate manager, senior manager, um, and the skills that we develop as a PhD, and that will be of interest to those who are actually doing it. Is so you have to be curious uh, and also team oriented. As a medical writer, you interact with uh, everybody on a research team who have their say in what you're doing, whether you write protocol or after a study is completed you write the report for health canada um, you have to be able to interact with those accept um, every comments they might they may have on your product that you're preparing um, and um, but it's it's really fulfilling it is really and um one one other question is the certificate that you that you uh made that that you uh, took uh what what can what can people expect if they if they take a certificate from that what are the skills what are the specific things that you learned that that or let's say that the job requires uh that that the certificate gave you and that you weren't bringing from behind right uh the certificate um i see it as a pretty good base of knowledge to be able to enter the field Um, and what is interesting when you go to uh, these uh, courses, you realize first that people in the room, they come from very, very diverse environments, uh, pharmacists, it could be a chemist, it could be a university professor, doctor. So everybody on board, they take their own skill and they add knowledge to what is a product development. So many courses on let's say, how we bring a product from a lab to a, a pill, uh, whether they are the non-clinical research, clinical research, and so on and so forth. So you learn on that. You learn on 
the regulations, uh, mainly Canadian regulations, and also you have specific course on American regulations and European. So the difference between them and how they also, like everything, there is a a core or we're leading towards having similar uh, way of writing things if possible. So this, it's a, hmm. So background, uh, style of writing, uh, uh, there's a, a terminology, I imagine. Uh, uh, so all, it, it gives you, it, it kind of formats you to into uh, what you're going to be writing about and who you're going to be writing for. Yes. And, and just one thing I'd like to add, this is um, something very, very different. When you're doing your own research as a university professor and research scientist, you are the leader of what you're doing and you know everything about it if, if you read what others do. So you're kind of on top of things. And one thing I find very, very different from regulatory is as soon as you think that you know something, you know how it's going to go with the, the regulators, it changes. So it's a <laughs> very, very fast changing and nothing is, you, you're, you can't really say you're in the top of everything. Even I've interacted with people who have been in, in the regulatory fields for 30 years or more. It's, it's always changing. So for someone who likes change, it's, it's a great place to be. And do you have, uh, I imagine that you have, uh, uh, you at the, in this institute in, when you were working at Canreg, you had colleagues that also uh, had PhDs or post, or were coming from a postdoc or or from academia. W was that the case? How how you know uh, for if you go into this domain, how uh, frequent is it to cross with people who have a, the same kind of path that you had? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, like in the pharma industry, I would say people with PhD are between maybe 10% to 25%. Okay. So depending on uh, the needs, um, uh, you have people who are there to, to write, uh, people who are there to provide strategic advices. Um, so, and, and there's plenty of place to, to learn. So, but definitely with, with a PhD, um, it provides you with really good organization skill, detail oriented skill, um, team working. Yeah. Okay. And, um, yeah, like you were saying, it's, it must be, uh, because there's always new drugs, new indications or different things that are happening on the pharma uh, on the pharma uh, space uh, it means that yeah there's always something new coming at you for sure uh, so yeah it, it seems to me that you be working in this type of of um, of uh, organization you must be sometimes working with uh, files that are maybe on the news. <clears throat> so, excuse me, my voice just broke. That maybe on the news, you know, people are hearing about I don't this drug that was uh, taken off market or this new drug that's coming. Uh, I'm just thinking of other things that might be exciting about about the job uh, per se. Is is this your experience? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, like the, the topics that are on the media, like right now at the moment where. Um, we are registering this uh, conversation. We are in the middle of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, and actually I am working on some projects that are related to that. Um, again, uh, it reaches my 
interest into helping, uh, I I find through my work that I'm I'm contributing to the society. That is exciting. Excellent. We're reaching the half point of the interview. We're, we're going to take a little break, and uh, the next chapter uh, that we're going to talk about is how, after uh, you know all this this uh, path that you have described, after gaining all this experience, you decided to go work on your own. So I'm going to just tease it uh, for now. We're going to go into our break, and then uh, afterwards we're going to start. We're going to start by uh, learning how that came about. And uh, and how uh, how you organize your life today as a medical writer uh, who's who's uh, self-employed, let's say. Thanks for listening to part one of my interview with Natalie Ross. In part two, we'll do a deeper dive into the day-to-day of a medical writer and into what Natalie's professional life looks like as a freelance writer. If you enjoy the insights shared on the show each week and would like to dig deeper into some of the subjects covered, you can now join the Papa PhD Postgraduate Career Exploration Group on Facebook. There, you will find like-minded listeners, but also a few of the past guests who will be taking part in the conversation. So, to start a conversation, just go to facebook.com forward slash PapaPhD and ask to join. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD Podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.